I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The rapidly growing area of regenerative medicine is promising to replace chronic therapies with cures. As the biotechnology industry gathers in San Francisco for a big week of meetings, the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine is readying to deliver its annual State of the Industry Briefing. We spoke to Edward Lamphere, President and CEO of Sangamo Biosciences and the newly elected Chairman of the Alliance, about the transformation of medicine that's underway the particular excitement among investors in industry over gene therapy, and why he's confident payers are ready to embrace the new technology. Ed, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Danny. Well, and and congratulations on being elected chairman of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. Thank you. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. I'm, I think, I guess I'm all of six days into my uh, my tenure, but I've uh, uh, been a member of ARM uh, and active in ARM for uh, several years, and I'm and, um, both uh, honored and, and uh, looking forward to uh, being the chairman this year. Well, we're going to talk about the state of regenerative medicine, the, the excitement around gene therapy in particular, as well as what's happening at your own company, Sangamo Biosciences. The Alliance for Regenerative Medicine holds its state of the industry briefing in San Francisco January 12th in conjunction with the 2015 Biotech Showcase, part of what the J.P. Morgan Week in San Francisco has become. Maybe we can begin with regenerative medicine itself. What does this include, and and how significant is it in terms of sales and pipeline today? Yeah, well, it's it, it, it's a it's a fascinating and and really one of the fastest growing areas of all of biotechnology right now, um, Denny. The regenerative medicine, and and I think we'd add to that advanced therapies uh, space, um, in which ARM is the the principal uh, industry organization and and Washington based uh, representative group, uh, encompasses a couple of major. Uh, technology categories. Um, certainly the cell therapy space, which are the origins of, of ARM in, in stem cells and iPSCs, uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, uh, tissue engineering and biomaterials, uh, that really support the clinical development of, of these uh, autologous cell-based therapies. More recently, and there's been an enormous amount of growth both from an industry perspective and, and in ARM in the gene therapy area, as well as in the genetically modified cell therapy areas. And um, those those um, scientific disciplines or, or approaches really are the basis for the, the companies that are involved. And of course, ARM is also a multi-constituency organization, which brings to bear uh, not only companies, but also um, patient advocacy groups, uh, research organizations, um, uh, and, and health insurers, uh, and not just small companies, but also some of the big biotechs and big pharmas. So I, I do think a lot of people still think of regenerative medicine as a, a thing of the future, but 
Can you give us some sense of the industry today in terms of its size and terms of, say, sales or, or pipeline? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, I know people do uh, think about it as sort of a, um, a small area, but at this point, you know, there are over 500 companies worldwide uh, in the um, regenerative medicine advanced therapy space. Over 200 of those companies actually are ARM uh, members. Um, they break out, uh, as you might imagine, uh, in about 300 plus, 330 are cell therapy companies, about 180 are in the tissue engineering space, and about 150 are in this newer area of gene therapy and modified cell therapies. And of those uh, 500 companies, um, there are now over 40 approved products uh, that are in this, uh, are coming from these technologies. And there are now, um, as of the end of last year, there may even be more in the last several days, but there are over 650 uh, ongoing clinical trials uh, in the space. So there's a, uh, a lot of activity, uh, both from a development perspective, but also from a, from a commercial perspective. And, and looking forward, we expect to see significant clinical milestones in, um, in 2015 and 2016 in the phase three and, and in the approval areas. Um, not to keep babbling, Denny, but just in, in that regard, uh, I'm sure you noted that the first gene therapy product, uh, in vivo gene therapy product, was approved in Europe. Uh, this is a uh, approved for a company called Unicure, uh, which is in the adeno-associated viral vector space or AAV space. And um, there's also been significant progress on the modified cell therapy side, probably most notably uh, two areas. Bluebird uh, Bio has uh, taken autologous CD34 stem cells and uh, in patient populations of beta thalassemia shown that they can modify those cells, reinfuse them, and cause those patients to become transfusion independent. Um, really moving towards the, the goal of, of broadly of regenerative medicine and gene therapy, which aren't just novel treatments, but, but curative outcomes. Well, well, as you get ready for your, <clears throat> for your briefing, what kind of a year was 2014 for regenerative medicine? Well, it was a historic year. I mean, uh, a high watermark and, and actually I think, uh, still going, uh, at, at multiple levels on the, on the product development side of things, uh, just to, to tick off a few. I mentioned, uh, Bluebird's, uh, data and beta thalassemia. One of the other areas of enormous visibility is the cancer immunotherapy space, uh, the so-called CAR T-cell area which uh, has uh, numerous companies, Novartis, Juno, Kite, and others who have been very active in the area, uh, both from a data uh, presentation perspective, but also from a financing perspective. Um, Mesoblast launched the first cell therapy product in Japan to treat graft-versus-host disease in the fourth quarter of this year. Um, and, and speaking of Japan, uh, Danny, and, and this is something that I think it's important for uh, people in the U.S. to, to begin to understand, is this is a global uh, area and a global technology. And Japan has really pushed the ball forward uh, dramatically uh, in their um, legislation that expedite uh, conditional approval of regenerative medicine and, and cell therapy products. And uh, the ARM uh, organization and many of ARM's members are looking actively 
at uh, developing products and moving clinical trials to Japan uh, because of the rapid pace of conditional approvals and therefore commercialization that can occur. So it's definitely a, an area of, of, um, uh, of global development right now. Well, you've alluded to this, but it's certainly a big year for gene therapy in particular. It seems to be growing investor enthusiasm, some exciting clinical results. As someone who's been at this for a long time, do you notice a change? And, and what would you say the, the state of gene therapy is as far as what's catalyzing the enthusiasm that we're seeing build in 2014. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you if you go back, um, you know, even as frequent or as recently as 24 to 36 months, uh, there were sectors in the pharmaceutical community and the investor community uh, where the words gene therapy were were um, almost toxic, uh, and and that has changed uh, 180 degrees. There is enormous enthusiasm. Uh, from a, a venture perspective, from a public investor perspective, and from a, a pharmaceutical perspective. And I think what's really uh, changed over that period of time is the perception, based upon data, that uh, gene therapy, the introduction of DNA into cells, uh, is a way of generating not just uh, novel treatments or better treatments, but the potential for curative outcomes. And uh, while there are uh, multiple examples of, of this, um, including Glybera out of Unicure and some of the uh, data in, in uh, Factor Nine, Hemophilia B, uh, showing long-term persistence of, of uh, Factor Nine expression, there's a broad-based appreciation that the next uh, real platform for both rare diseases as well as some of the larger diseases, oncology, cardiovascular disease, degenerative neurological diseases, can be and will be addressed by the introduction of DNA into specific uh, areas of the body and expression of those sequences in a way that not just to treat the disease uh, or mask one, some of the symptoms of the disease, but uh, directly at a biological level address the what's malfunctioning or what is um, missing uh, in that uh, situation that causes the disease. So I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for this right now. Well, one of the things that happened this year was the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine merged with its European sister organization, the Alliance for Advanced Therapies. What was the thinking here in terms of the need for a, a unified global voice, and, and what do you expect this enabled? will enable you to do? Well, you're exactly right with the question. It's a unified global voice, and, and I think the, the, the shared uh, issues uh, between Europe and the United States are are almost 100% uh, in terms of the, the kinds of issues that we're dealing with from a regulatory perspective, from a, a government um, relations perspective, from a reimbursement perspective, from a communications perspective. So there is um, almost a, a hand-in-glove fit with the kinds of, of challenges that uh, our colleagues in Europe face as, uh, and, and the companies in the U.S. And, and I really won't stop there. There's, uh, As I said, there's an enormous amount of activity in this space in Japan, in, in Asia uh, broadly, and uh, it continues to make sense uh, for ARM to be a coordinating organization, an organization at the uh, hub of the spokes to help harmonize 
some of the policies and regulatory um, criteria and standards that that exist for this uh, for these technologies. On the legislative front in the United States, the alliance saw the Regenerative Medicine Promotion Act of 2014 introduced in the U.S. Senate. That's an effort to create a multi-agency regenerative medicine coordinating council and a detailed assessment of federal activities in regenerative medicine as well as have progress compared to national programs in other countries. Is there a lack of a coherent U.S. policy around regenerative medicine? And is it difficult to coordinate and understand what work is underway through the various agencies? Well, there is a lack of coordination, and and I and I won't um, uh, you know put it on those agencies to say it's it's a um, it's not out of lack of interest. We've had uh, good and ongoing discussions with uh, CMS, CDC, the FDA um, across lots of these these topics. I think the real need is to bring together. Uh, these organizations under a, an umbrella where these kinds of discussions can occur, and so and you and you outlined it, it, it perfectly. The Regenerative Medicine Promotion Act has really been a a very useful vehicle for ARM to have these discussions to gain that support uh, from those agencies to gain that support on the Hill, and um, while there's enormous, uh, I think, pro- progress on that. The um, potential new vehicle for that is really this 21st Century Cures Initiative, which Senator Upton and, and others are championing. And I think that offers a, a broad-based vehicle, not only for regenerative medicine, but as the, as the title of the bill suggests, curative therapies and the kind of, of, of regulatory infrastructure, reimbursement um, guidance, as well as as you know broader based national strategy and funding um again not uh, not terribly different than what Japan has been able to pull together uh in order to uh, generate this new uh, regenerative medicine um law in, in in Japan so i think the the regenerative medicine promotion act has served as a great vehicle and and potentially the 21st century cures initiative will be a um, a way to push this forward into a, a bill that can be uh, that can be approved. So while I, while I've got you here, I'm hoping you can update us on some developments with Sangamo and its its lead programs in HIV and Alzheimer's. How are these progressing, and, and what are you learning? Sure, I've heard of that company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, things are going great, uh, Danny. Thanks for asking. Uh, we have a, a lot of ongoing activities. We're going to be updating next week. Uh, actually, on Monday at, at J.P. Morgan, right after I uh, give the uh, State of the Industry uh, update on on ARM, um, and we'll be talking a lot about our our pipeline, including uh, the HIV data. We're uh, in the um, phase two trials of our HIV T cell program. We'll be starting clinical trials of our HIV program in stem cells, as well as our beta thalassemia program in stem cells uh, in early 2015. And we're on track to file multiple INDs around our genome editing platform, uh, both for our own account, uh, as well as with our partners, uh, Shire and uh, Biogen IDEC. So, um, an awful lot of, of progress uh, activity. We've um, benefited uh, mostly, largely, uh, from the science that we've been working on, but also from the climate uh, 
uh, as we've talked about earlier. Uh, we've been successful in, in raising uh, nearly $200 million over the last uh, 18 months. And um, it's been a um, it's been a time where we've seen very, very significant progress with our technology and our clinical data. So I know you released preclinical data on Huntington's disease as well as hemophilia and isomal storage disorders. Are, are these things we're going to see moving into the clinic in 2015? Yes, yes. Those are all things that uh, we hope to move forward, um, both with uh, new INDs and then initiating clinical studies uh, in 2015 and 2016, uh, more of the same in 2016. So how close are we seeing gene therapy move us away from requiring lifelong sustenance therapy to really having cures? Well, that is that is the goal, uh, Danny, and, and the couple of things I, I referenced earlier, the Bluebird work in beta thalassemia, the Unicure work with AAV, the Factor Nine work with AAV, I think are the early glimpses of what uh, gene therapy and, and gene-modified cell therapies uh, can offer uh, in terms of, again, not just durable treatments, but long-term and potentially permanent cures for uh, for these diseases. And, you know, back to Sangamo, that's uh, absolutely in the bullseye of precisely what we're working on. Uh, not novel therapies, but durable, permanent cures that uh, we believe could be uh, fundamentally important in terms of patient benefit, but also from a from a commercial perspective, extraordinarily disruptive to um, very well established chronic uh, therapies such as lysosomal storage diseases and um, the hemophilias. Well, certainly one of the big issues the industry faced in 2014 was pricing, and that only seems to be intensifying with this new therapeutic paradigm and the movement from treatments to cures. How was that discussion with payers and policymakers taking shape? Have you had conversations with payers and, and any read on how much of an obstacle they'll represent for the industry? Well, I think payers, uh, to, to put on my rose-colored glasses, and you actually view this as a, as a great positive. Right now, you know, take whatever protein replacement therapy you like, um, factor eight, factor nine, Gaucher's, um, Patients and, and, and uh, insurers are paying hundreds of thousands, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year for um, the product that that keeps these patients um, healthy. What if you could come to that payer with a well-controlled clinical trial that says, with a single treatment, we can give this child the kind of, of normal protein expression that somebody who does not have this disease uh, has, what would that be worth? And, and uh, if you think about the lifetime therapy of a two-year-old boy on, on factor eight, there's enormous value to the insurer. There's enormous value to the payer. Heck, there's enormous value to, the, to this country in terms of overall health care costs and reducing those costs. So it's, a, it's an engaged and very positive uh, discussion that um, we're having with, with, um, with CMS, with private insurers, uh, because of the ability of these one-time curative therapies 
to generate enormous value to the patient, but potentially uh, very significant value and savings to the overall um, healthcare costs. And if you're interested in attending the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's Regenerative Medicine and Advanced Therapy State of the Industry Briefing, it'll be held at 8 a.m. at the Park 55 Wyndham in San Francisco in conjunction with the 2015 Biotech Showcase. More information can be found on the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's website. Ed Lamphere, President and CEO of Sangamo Sciences and the newly elected Chairman of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. Ed, thanks as always. Kenny, my pleasure. A few housekeeping notes before we go. Over on Rarecast this week, you can hear Alain Gano, a former J.P. Morgan hedge fund manager turned biotech CEO, discuss the search for a cure for his son's rare disease. That goes live January 9th. We'd also like to note the passing of Ron Cape, co-founder of Cetus, the world's first biotechnology company. We'll be discussing Cape's legacy next week with historian Mark Jones on the Bio Report. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.